2: this is the other side of midnight i'm frank morano occasionally you know on fridays tomorrow we'll do this occasionally i'll get uh questions on ask frank anything or even in my private life about hey why aren't there more women on talk radio and in terms of the women that are on the radio who do you think does the best job and i will tell you and i've said this Publicly, uh, there are recordings of this, you can check this out, that I think someone that uh, not only has one of the best voices of every woman that's on the radio these days, but one of the most pleasant demeanors of everyone of any gender, and I've lost track of how many genders we're up to these days, um, has got to be Laura Curran. Laura Curran is uh, not only the former county executive in Nassau County, a former reporter in her own right. But now she is killing it as a podcast host and as the host of Cut to the Chase Sunday Afternoons on WABC. And I really enjoy her show and really look forward to it because, one, it's very substantive. There are substantive guests. There are substantive issues discussed. But there's no yelling at nobody's yelling at one another. People disagree. They disagree. There's no uh, threatening to burn one another's house down. It's a pleasant conversation uh, that leaves people, I think, a little bit better informed and feeling a little bit better about sort of the polarized nature of where we are as a country these days. And I am just thrilled. That Laura Curran has agreed to sit in with me this hour. Laura, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming in.
3: Well, thanks for letting me crash the last hour of your show. Oh, I appreciate it. You're welcome it.
2: to come in uh, anytime. Anytime. <laughs> it's you have to be an up in this hour. It's a
3: whole new world. It
2: certainly is. How was uh, how how the difference in traffic from when oh. you drive here and during daylight hours versus the so middle of the night?
3: So coming in from Long Island, uh, flu. There was just nobody, nobody on the road. Uh, half an hour. What would normally take an hour or an hour and a half, you know, a half hour. Great.
2: Well, it, it is uh, great. Now, uh, I did get a little nervous when we were exchanging emails, and I said this to our colleague Dominic Carter last night because I am about eight hours behind my emails until 6 a.m. That's yeah. when I'm caught up. And I saw that I responded to an email about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and you said, all right, I'll see you at 5 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, boy, the show's going to be over at 5. But luckily, you made it here. For I did. Show.
3: That, was, that was a typo. Okay. I made a mistake Whew, with my numbers. No.
2: Yeah. That would have been bad. Uh, the, a lot of folks are hearing you for the first time, certainly the first time that you've uh, come on our show, and they may not know much about your, uh, your pedigree. Uh, I know that you were the former Nassau County executive. Some people may not realize that you're actually not eligible to be president of the United States because you were not born in the United States. Oh, that's
3: right. I was born in Canada. How
2: does a uh, Canadian-born uh, person – come to be Laura Curran, Nassau County executive, talk show hostess, et cetera?
3: That's a funny – that's actually a very good question. So I moved around a lot as a kid. I had an itinerant childhood. My parents moved around a lot. So by the time I was in ninth grade, I was in eight different schools. Wow. Yeah. Was your dad in the military? No, you'd think. Retail. Uh, but they were adventuresome, so he would get jobs in different places. I spent some time in Belgium, Florida, L.A. So lo- he Long- wasn't I- on the
2: run from the law. He was not
3: on the run from the law, I'm happy to say. Um, and we all had green cards. Uh, I actually, I became a citizen of this country. Uh, it sounds corny to say, and I don't talk about it much because it sounds kind of hokey. But after 9-11, I was married to an American. I had a baby. Um, and after 9-11, I said, you know, I got to be a part of this country. I belong here. I pay taxes, and, and you know I, I felt a call uh, to really become a, a true American after that that horrible that horrible day.
2: That's great. And uh, I'm certainly glad that you did. And that's one of the things that I've always found puzzling about your fellow Canadian William Shatner is that he's been Phil. living here, exactly, <laughs> Phil, for um, you know, since the 60s or the 50s actually and still never took the plunge to become an American citizen. Next time he's on the show, I'm going to I'm going to ask him uh, I'm going to ask him why. You were a reporter for the New York Daily News, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You served then in the Nassau County Legislature and on the school board. Yeah. Uh, tell me about making that transition from journalist to someone that's politically active or at least active in the community.
3: Yeah. So I was at the Daily News for many years. I was at the Post for a short period, then back at the Daily News. And um, I was actually home with my kids. I had three kids at this point. Uh, and a friend of mine dared me to run for school board. She said, You covered education for the Daily News. Why don't you run for school board? So I did, thinking I wouldn't win because there was an incumbent and the incumbent normally wins. Uh, but I I ran and I ended up doing well and I got the bug. I really loved it. I love dealing with the budget, I love dealing with the issues, the constituents, making the hard decisions that were the right decisions, you know, uh really wet my appetite to do more. And then the local legislator where I lived retired, which doesn't happen very often mm-hmm. because we have don't have term limits. And um, I threw my hat in the ring for that and uh, did four years. So that's two terms. And then a lot of crazy stuff going on in county government that I got to see, had a front row seat for. And uh, i that's when I decided to, to throw my hat in the ring for, for the county executive job. How did you enjoy your time as county executive? I loved it. I really did. It was really – it's hard. $3.3 billion budget, 7,500 employees. Uh, there had been fiscal problems forever. Uh, corruption issues, a lot to take on, but it was really satisfying work. I had a fantastic team who I am still friends with so many of my, my, my team people. Um, and we had COVID, we had the George Floyd protests. I mean, we had a lot going on in those four years, but I, I think we did a pretty good job. You then – you're now doing a
2: talk show. You started doing this podcast and uh, very popular, one of the most popular on the Red Apple Podcast Network. If people want to um, listen to it and they haven't heard it, they can go to Red Apple Podcast Network and just search your last name, Curran, and it comes uh, right up. Uh, tell me about the transition from the world of politics, yeah. where you're not only in the position of having to run things, but having to take positions on on everything, including things that you might not have anything right. to do with your job. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You ended up in a position where a lot of folks said you were a victim of the bail reform law. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the person that happened to be running for DA on the Democratic ticket the same year you ran. Tell me about the transition from the world of politics back to the world of, of media.
3: So, I did a lot of radio during COVID. I did had regular interviews with all the different stations. I did TV, I did this, I did that, but I really love radio. I love listening to radio. I loved, you know, Dr. Demento as a kid. There's something <laughs> about radio that is just so absorbing and intimate, and I really wanted to get into that after being county exec. And I'm really grateful to John Katsimatidis and Chad Lopez and the team here at WABC for, for you know, taking a chance on me and giving me the podcast. Uh, started in June. Super fun. I talked to everyone uh, from Melissa DeRosa, Kellyanne Conway, and everyone in between. And, you know, it's not just politics. I do oh, yeah. other current events, whatever. Whatever I, f- whatever I find is r- interesting, I hope other people find interesting as well. And then that kind of morphed into the uh, radio show a little more recently. And again, I'm really grateful to John Katzimatides, to Margo, to the team uh, for the support that I've gotten and for the opportunity to do this because this is really a dream come true for uh, me. Sa-
2: uh, same here. Every word that you that you just said, uh, I could say and underscore uh, seven times over. It's a little different doing a live radio show yeah. when you have to hit certain breaks yeah. as opposed to just doing a podcast right. when you're recording. And if you make a mistake, you can edit it out. If the guest says something weird and asks you to take it out, you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily as much priority on um, it being done at a certain amount of time. How have you found that transition from doing the podcast to doing a live radio
3: show of your own? It's a bigger transition than people would think. <laughs> uh, people totally like different art form. People totally. like you, Frank. People like Sid Rosenberg. Uh, Make it look easy. It's not easy. And one thing I have to keep reminding myself is I got to keep – I got to remind people what they're listening to, who Mm -hmm. I'm talking to, who I am. You know, Uh, the other thing is you can't – like you said, you can't take it back. If you've said it, it's out there, and so
2: there's no editing it. One of the things that I've enjoyed about you since of your time in office, um, aside from your work on the radio, is you've been very public – about cautioning the Democratic Party and if people are just tuning in we're we'll talk with Laura Curran, <laughs> former Nassau County executive and the host of uh, Cuts of the Chase on 77 WABC in New York. But you've been very publicly critical at times of the Democratic Party, especially in New York State, but even nationally, for going too far to the left mm-hmm. on various issues, particularly as it relates to crime. If you were to give some advice to the Democratic Party these days, nationally, statewide, What would you tell them?
3: I would say don't spend so much time on Twitter. I would say go and talk to actual people as much as you can. Find out what they're concerned about, what they're interested in, what they want, what they expect from you. Uh, I always say the people are at the top of the org chart and they're not stupid. And the concerns about crime, the concerns about education, the concerns about taxes are really real. And uh, I feel like it's almost like the cool kids – have taken over these progressive quote unquote cool kids have taken over in albany and the more moderate democrats are afraid of them are intimidated mm. to the, uh, intimidated by them and kind of want to get their approval like we're back in high school again and you got to remember you're not representing those other elected officials you're representing the people in your district uh, now
2: the republicans are also having some problems right uh, we've seen they haven't won the popular vote in a presidential election since uh, 2004. They've won a total since 1988. They've won the popular vote once. Uh, we've seen what happened in 2018 with them losing Congress. We saw what happened with them losing the presidency in 2020. We saw what was supposed to be a big red wave around the country yeah. in 2022 never materialized. Didn't get past
3: Long Island, and,
2: right, Exactly, <laughs> and uh, it looks like come next year. In a U.S. Senate map that's very favorable for the Republicans, they are doing whatever they can to screw themselves over again by being poised to nominate some of the most extreme candidates that cost them the Senate last year. Let's say you're putting your hat on as a Republican consultant. Mm. What advice do you give the GOP these days?
3: It would be very much the same. Mm. Don't worry about the loudest, angriest, extremist voices because they don't speak for most of the people in your state in your district in your town whatever it may be talk talk to real people about what it is they're concerned about what they want from you and you really can't go wrong if you do that and then and also don't don't worry so much about your own career i know it sounds horrible but people can sniff out when you're a hack and when you're the real deal so just be yourself and work hard and remember they're your boss. The people are your boss.
2: I saw an interesting chart in Axios yesterday because um – I you know, I think a lot of us growing up, we always picture Republicans are supposed to be the party of rich people, right? They're the party that uh, fights for tax cuts, and uh, that's the party of country clubs. Yeah. That's the party of the elite and right. the wealthy. And we always think of Democrats as the party, at least that's the stated narrative that's supposed to be fighting for uh, the working class, blue-collar mm-hmm. union workers. Mm-hmm. I saw an interesting chart yesterday. In Axios, nine of the top 10 wealthiest congressional districts are represented by Democrats, whereas Republicans now represent almost all of the poorest half of the country. So over the last several decades, there's been – and I'm going to show you this chart with red and blue – there has been a total dramatic political realignment where almost every wealthy district – is represented by Democrats, and almost every poor district is represented by a Republican. And if
3: you can see this chart, it's really stark. Yeah,
2: I'm going to post this on uh, my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Morano fans so people can see it. But what do you attribute the partisan realignment that we've seen over the last 20 years to?
3: You know, there's been a lot written and a lot said about how that has shifted and how the Democrats are seen more as the party of the elites, mm-hmm. the college educated, uh, and they're the ones who are now in charge of so much in this country. Um, and one thing that's really interesting is I remember in the past few elections, the the union, and I'm thinking, talking about the building trades, the leadership would support the Democrat mm. Whereas the members would go for, say, Donald Trump instead of Hillary Clinton. And I think it's and I think Donald Trump kind of exemplifies this attitude. It's this this sort of middle finger to the elites, to people who are telling you what to think, how to live your lives, what your kids should be learning. And people really do bristle against that because there's a condescending attitude there. Like, you don't you know what? You unwashed people, you don't really know what you need, right. you know. And that that phrase, like people who vote against their own interests, I find very condescending. Like, well, who are you to tell me right. what my interests it, are? Precisely. You know, my, you don't even know me, but you know my interests better than me. That's the attitude that people see the Democrats have now.
2: You know, I've um, I've always been a political independent. I've been very involved in the third party and, and political independent movement my whole life. And one of the things that's always really annoyed me, but more so in recent years, about Democrats, particularly the Democratic leadership, is exactly the attitude that you just described. This attitude that we know better than you, right. you can't be trusted to make any sort of decisions. But one of the things that I've found really irksome about uh, Republicans over the years, particularly of late, is there's almost this hostility to being intellectual yeah. there's almost whether yeah. you're talking science whether you're talking medicine you ask someone uh, to look at a you know a, at a chart or look at data and there's a disbelief of the data people shrug and you say oh that's what they want you to believe yeah. the, my question for you is do you think republicans need to be a little more elite and democrats need to be a little bit more populist
3: I I like the pop, more populist Democratic Party, the party of the people, the party of the underdog, the union guy, the new immigrant, you know, someone who's looking out for their interests. I, I That's my party. I feel like that's my Democratic Party. Uh, but what was your question? Well, is the Democratic Party still that, do you think? Do they um... – I, I think they're – I think it's slipping away. I really do. I think it's slipping away. They're kind of trying to grasp at it and then they're confused – when they see the Asian vote slipping away, when they see the Hispanic vote becoming more Republican, and they're like, "Wait, wait a minute! These are supposed to be our people," but that's becoming less and less the case. After last
2: year, uh, out on Long Island, there's now a whole bunch of Republican members of Congress, and uh, these are seats that were uh, at least half of which were Democrat. They're right, all pretty red now. Nassau, yeah, the two and in Nassau, yeah. And uh, one of those, I noticed, is the congressional district in which you live in. And we've seen that uh, nationally and statewide, there's going to be a big fundraising push to turn at least a couple of these seats from red to blue. And now that they're they're challenging the district lines again, Mm -hmm. and now that there's likely to be a court of appeals that's much more favorable to this – is there any chance you'd think about running for Congress next year? You're first on a lot of people's lists, I'm well, sure.
3: Well, that's actually very flattering to hear. Um, I I think I'm having too much fun doing what I'm doing now. Um, I have more time for my family. And it's uh, – as much as I loved being engaged and being in government and I loved, I love campaigning, I love all of it, the politics and the government, I think – While it's flattering to be considered, uh, there is a lot. uh, There'll be and these two races is the Santos race uh, and then the other one down where I live. There's going to be a lot, as you say, a lot of money thrown. These are going to be the top, you know, among probably the top six in the country. So whoever runs is going to get a lot of support, a lot of help. Right.
2: Well, that's why a lot of prospective candidates would kill for that level
3: of support. Um, I, 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 I'm a firm believer is you have to have a fire in the belly to run. You can't just run because you think it's going to be cool or it would be fun to have the congressional pin. You have to have a mission and the fire in the belly and a real rationale. And I have to tell you right now, Frank, I'm having too much fun doing what I'm doing. That's now great. With, with I love it. Well, we're the
2: beneficiary of this, right? Uh, if um, the Democrats could use more people like you, I think so could talk radio, right? I mean, talk radio has been uh, before uh, John Katzenmatthes did what he did with this station, uh, so dominated by one political voice, and more so than one political voice, one sort of tone yeah. uh, that so often sounds angry, yeah. hateful, and it's one of the things I really enjoy about your show is it's such a, a respite uh, from that kind of thing. Let me ask you a little bit about um, what I began our conversation with. Uh, you're born in Canada. Mm. You cannot be president, I right?
3: Can't. Or <laughs> vice president.
2: Arnold Schwarzenegger has talked about this for a long time, yeah. including very recently. He said that if he was eligible, he would have run for president. Yeah. And he says oh, the, all these immigrants to our country, people yeah. like uh, Henry Kissinger and uh, you know Madeline Albright, uh, John Katz and Matides, they've all uh, contributed in really significant ways. They should be given the opportunity to run. Would you be in favor, not for yourself, but prospectively, changing that provision that only American-born citizens can run for president?
3: I do think it's time to change that. Uh, that list that you mentioned, uh, why not? It's the only two jobs that people who don't live in this country can't get. And I don't know if that's that's right.
2: I, I don't either. So you'd be for changing it?
3: Yeah. I yeah. would.
2: I, I I tend to agree. As
3: long as you're a citizen.
2: Right. Well, and you meet all the other you meet requirements, all the other, right? right. Um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, speaking of him, there Maybe was... Maybe I could be
3: a ticket with him. <laughs> <laughs> <That'd be fun. laughs>
2: that would be fun. That would be interesting. So apparently uh, Schwarzenegger was um, fed up with this pothole that uh, that is in his... Um, Area And he complained about it and it didn't get fixed for two weeks. So he decided he was going to patch this up himself. And so he posted this video to Twitter. I'm going to retweet it at uh, Frank Morano of him filling that what he said was a pothole. But apparently... He ends up filling a service trench, which I'm not even sure exactly what a, a service don't trench tell me is. There were
3: people inside. Uh, no,
2: I don't think so. <laughs> but he fills this service trench that he claimed was a oh. recalcitrant
3: pothole.
2: Oh, Lord. Um, in your time as a private citizen, because Schwarzenegger is a private citizen yeah. now, have you found yourself going out uh, filling any potholes?
3: <laughs> One thing I've learned working, especially in a municipal government. There is usually a good reason for something that seems really stupid. Mm-hmm. Not always. Not always. Sometimes there's no good reason. But sometimes just check first.
2: There you go. And yeah. maybe this kind of pothole vigilantism is not, is not for the best. And
3: GPW people are usually very smart and they know what they're doing. <laughs> okay. Maybe their bosses aren't, but they are.
2: Uh, you know, I talked about talk radio and sort of the one political viewpoint that's dominated a lot of talk radio. Yeah. We see on cable news – you know, everyone used to make fun of that crossfire format of one Republican, I one Democrat. Loved right, so did I. I mean, Pat Buchanan and I loved John and Bill McLaughlin. Press. Right. Yep. Well, that was really, really interesting. But you had a whole bunch of shows that yeah. all basically followed that same format. Yeah. And then John Stewart went on Crossfire about 19 years ago and made fun of them. And basically, CNN said, "All right, you're right. We're going to end." Is this. Is that what happened? Pretty much. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. But now, now it's gotten. So much worse because essentially whatever cable news outlet you go to, with the exception of maybe Michael Smirconish's show on CNN, you basically have a host that gives a commentary on something. Yeah. And then he brings on a chorus of guests that agree with him. Right, right. I'm wondering what role you think the media has played in our
3: current polarization situation. Huge, huge. Because of money. Because of money. Advertising and they—the more incendiary, the more clicks, the more views—and there you go. And it's a shame. I, I really love debate. I think it's great to disagree. I think it's great to talk to people with whom you disagree. That's how you maybe challenge yourself. And I think it's good to challenge your own preconceptions. You might learn something, and maybe you'll be able to persuade someone else. You know, it's funny today is Christopher Hitchens' birthday. Oh, I did I, I did a little segment on him on my last radio show. He was a master of debate. He would take on anyone and debate anyone from Sean Hannity to Al Sharpton to everyone in between and do it with intelligence. He did his homework. Uh he could be withering, but he never shied from a fight in in a way that was more uh not just yelling and screaming.
2: I I yeah, I'm uh, I miss Christopher Hitchens and his contributions in yeah. a, a number of areas of uh, public discourse. Uh, in t- I heard uh, a couple of weeks ago you did a terrific interview with Marianne Williamson, who's yeah. obviously running against uh, President Biden in the Democratic talk primary. about running
3: against the elites. No right, party,
2: no, oh so no doubt. But, uh, so now you have not just Marianne Williamson running, but uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Mm-hmm. Do you think we're likely to see any of the uh, any beyond, anyone beyond that in terms of the top echelon of Democratic politics? uh, challenging biden in the primary or do you think this is pretty much it it's going to be biden versus rfk and marianne
3: williamson i mean biden sure is taking his sweet time to announce so everyone gavin newsom and everyone else they're probably just waiting in the wings practicing their lines uh i don't think we will see an establishment candidate if he's if he's going to announce or if he does announce we'll see what happens Anything can happen. Life is crazy. If he doesn't, if he decides not to, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, then you'll have the deluge of all the more sort of a st- quote, quote unquote establishment people. Um, and it's a shame that people like Marian Williamson and Robert F. Kennedy, who are you know smart, accomplished, intelligent people, we might not agree with them on everything, uh, but that they're they're sort of dissed in a in a very like we were talking about before, very condescending. Oh yeah, condescending, oh, yeah. Um, insulting way. I don't think that's right. How do you think President Biden's done? I think he has, has had some successes, uh, but he is not—he is not a president who a lot of people are super excited about. I think um, you know, we all know that he's a—he's gaff prone, shall we put it? Uh, there's also some concern that he's not really in charge, that he's not really running the show, that he's not quite able. And I think Do that's you feel something that way. I—I—I feel. That he even before he was old was a bit empty. Uh, I think he would sort of go with the flow of what it was you were supposed to say and what you what, what you were supposed to think. I don't feel a strong core in him, as you know, in what he actually believes and what he actually thinks. I really do see him as just a a lifelong creature of politics. You know, when it was great to go against the thugs and the criminals, he did that. Then when it when you, you had to feel sorry for the Thugs and the Criminals, he did that. I think he just sort of goes with what he thinks he's supposed to do. Uh, I I don't feel that he's a very strong – he has a very strong character.
2: We're talking with Laura Curran, a listener every Sunday afternoon on uh, Cut to the Chase on 77 WABC. You can also go to Red Apple Podcast Network and search Curran, hear uh, her podcast. Last question and then uh, we're going to talk with Brian Kilmeade. You were in office – the same time as Andrew Cuomo, right? There's all sorts of areas where the county executive's got to deal with the governor and mm-hmm. his office. Uh, your p- political careers both came to an end or a pause right around the same yeah. time in very different fashions. Yeah. Now uh, there's some talk of Andrew Cuomo coming back to challenge uh, Kirsten Gillibrand next year. What's your take on Cuomo in general and that, ra- that rematch or that matchup specifically?
3: So I don't know if it's the Kirsten Gillibrand race, but I do get the sense that he is looking to get back in. He clearly loves politics. He's clearly very good at it. Um, It was interesting dealing with the governor. He was a very strong governor. Um, I had a fine relationship with him during my tenure. Um, He... He would come to Nassau County a lot. He was—he definitely got Long Island. He definitely visited, understood it. He gets our voters. Um, I'd be curious to talk to him now about how he feels about bail reform. Mm. Uh, but he has spoken openly. He has come on John with John Katzmatis a couple times, talking about how it went too far. Uh, John did confront him and say, "Look, but you signed it." And I, you know, I think he he can explain himself there. Uh, I felt during COVID I had to push back. Quite a bit. I tried to do it politely because I think it was becoming way too micromanagey of businesses, of schools, of everything else and I, I my mantra was always we can trust these businesses and these schools to to make the right decisions. They don't need to be micromanaged on every little thing that they're doing. So I did push back there. But you know, I always was able to have that conversation, and I I'm, I appreciate that. So, uh, w-
2: would you have a rooting interest one way or another if it's a Gillibrand Cuomo uh, primary?
3: Well, Kirsten Gillibrand, I think uh, she has a lot of money. She's got a lot of union support. She one thing that I hear from people on Long Island is we never see her. We don't. We don't know where she is. Maybe you know. I know it's hard to compete against Chuck Schumer, who's everywhere. But uh, I think people don't really have a sense of who she is. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to I noted no specific endorsement in that race of Gillibrand versus Cuomo, at least not yet Let's right.
3: talk at, if he there enters, then, right. then
2: we can talk Alright, we're going to talk with Brian Kilmeade in a minute, but first we're going to see if we can't give away $1,000. If you are the 7th caller right now to 800-848-9222 that's 800-848-9222 we'll give you a chance to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds and if you can do that you will be $1,000 richer. We'll play the $1,000
0: Minute straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory...
3: He's your numero uno.
1: It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
2: The Other Side of Midnight, joined in studio for the hour by our special guest co-host, Laura Curran. Uh, we're going to talk with Brian Kilmead in a moment, but uh, let's see first if we can't make somebody a little wealthier.
1: The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Fred.
2: all right let's say hello to lewis in new jersey hello lewis hello there hello there frank nice to talk to you again. thank you nice to talk to you say hello to laura curran as well good morning laura good morning your work uh thank you that's nice all right you know how to play the game right lewis i'll give about i'll give me the old college try there frank there you go all we can ask all right you ready to go i'm ready all right what is the official currency of the united states uh, the U.S. dollar. What is the name of the red liquid that carries oxygen to different parts of the body?
0: Timoglobin or red blood cells.
2: Who was the mother of King Charles? Queen Elizabeth II. Who was the first U.S. president named James?
0: Uh, uh, the, 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 the James. It's not James Buchanan. Uh, James
2: Madison? All right. Who is the first black president of South Africa? Uh, Nelson Mandela. Who holds the record for winning the most Oscars?
0: Oh, that's a tough one. Cary
2: um, uh, uh, um, Grant. Ah, uh, I'm sorry. Walt Disney, Lewis. Walt, Walt Disney. Disney. Oh, uh, more Oscars than anybody. Nobody's even close. Lewis, hang on. Kenneth's going to give you a consolation prize. The answer to question four is always James Madison. That's the trick to playing the game. It's not as tough as the questions it may seem. Um, Tomorrow, same thing. Next week, we'll change it up. All right. Uh, I'm hoping to inspire the, uh, the writer, the New York Times bestselling author, to be precise, that we're lucky enough to check in with every Thursday to make his next book about James Madison. He's written about George Washington, written about Abraham Lincoln, written about uh, Frederick Douglass, written about Andrew Jackson. But Brian
4: Kilmeade still no James Madison book. I did not imagine that being the first question. You know, I try to anticipate where you're going to go. I did not think you were going to start with uh, with the former president, but... Uh, I I did say, you know, we do have the War of 1812 and the Battle of New Orleans. Guess who's president?
2: That's true. That's true. That's fair. I stand corrected. I stand corrected. Uh, Brian, obviously there's uh, so many things in the news, but the big news uh, from last night is this uh, appellate court decision on the abortion medication. Where do you see this whole situation
4: reverberating from here, Brian? I don't know. It's going to go work the way through the courts. Um, I think it's an unnecessary fight in Texas taken uh, countered by Washington. And I, I see that I have not seen any reports that said the FDA said it was dangerous. And I think it's more a moral question. And politically, it is not good for Republicans. It's, you know, for pro-lifers. That's one thing. But for politics, and many people think it shouldn't get down to that. It's a disastrous issue for Republicans. I don't know if Laura agrees.
3: Brian, yeah, I was just going to say I do agree. Most people are somewhere on the pro-choice spectrum. They might not want to talk about it. But, uh, you know, most people live in the real world and understand that, you know, life isn't always as we want it to be. So uh, I have a question for you about, you know, Tim Scott is a, ex, doing this exploratory committee. He's, he seems like he's a strong candidate. It seems to me like the Republicans have a pretty deep bench if Trump somehow doesn't <laughs> succeed, which I don't know. I don't know. He's looking pretty strong to me. How do, does a Republican like Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or even Ron DeSantis, who has not announced yet, how did they break through the media clutter to get their message out?
4: It's going to be interesting because, uh, I mean, by the time the debates come up on Fox in August, that's when everybody's message will be equal for those moments in the lead up to August. And I think, unlike last time, you have a lot of people that are running but don't really disagree that much. I mean, if you listen to Nikki Haley, 85 percent of what she talks about, she agrees with Trump. Tim Scott will not say anything negative about Trump. I haven't heard him say one word negative. At one point, he has to. You know, Jeb Bush was so different from Trump. Uh, Marco Rubio was different from Chris Christie. They all had different track records. They're going to separate on drama, drama and youth, drama and youth and uh, complications. Listen, the guy's got three court cases coming up. It's going to be a huge distraction. Uh, You know, he doesn't show the discipline. We appreciate working for him. We appreciate what he did. But his time has passed. That's going to have to be the message. And I don't know if it's going to be good enough. uh, But I also don't know the unscripted nature of the indictment uh, that's probably coming in Georgia. The indictment is probably coming in Mar-a-Lago. Brian, uh, the document
2: leak that has gotten so much attention from uh, both journalists and the public about this uh, Russia-Ukraine war and the United States rules. Well, about roles? the detail? Well, yeah, no doubt about it, right? I mean, uh, we now know exactly uh, what, when Zelensky's going to the bathroom and, and where, the, what the South Koreans are doing at any given time. And the South Koreans are st- certainly pretty ticked off that uh, our spying on them has been exposed. Give me your take on uh, who was the likely source of this leak Brian
4: and what if any national security implications you think there are I don't know if you had a chance to see it it's about a five-page story in the Washington Post they interviewed somebody that was on that uh, on that website with him and it turns out it's a guy it turns out he has access to all these papers Uh, it turns out he's been doing it for months the uh, evidently is uh, likes to shoot loves guns uh, is an American he still has access to this stuff Uh, And what happened is it's happened in January and February, and then people started taking it off the site and said, I can't believe how great and accurate this intelligence is, and started taking it to places like 4chan. It ends up on Telegram, and now it's an international scandal and story. I am so disappointed in our country that we wouldn't be able to get on top of this. Disappointed in our intelligence that any one person would have access to this. turns out they have this guy talking on camera with his name obscured, with his mom, had to give him permission. He was under 18 on this gaming site, Discord. And it turns out the the leaker has U.S. documents. Um, it's got about – originally it was a, a group chat of 24 guys on there. And then he started just talking, taking the leadership role and said, let me just tell you what's really going on in these wars. Let me tell you what's really going on with intelligence and He started putting all this stuff out. Little things like the Russians had a way to hack our smart bombs, make them dumb bombs. In Egypt, we know that Egypt was going to covertly sell weapons to Russia. They talk about Russia's unrest. The depth of their unrest and fighting within their government is much greater than anyone thought, but our government evidently knew it. And uh, there's a new batch now containing about 27 pages of different spy material. So this is worse than Snowden, it looks like, and continuing.
2: But what's so amazing to me is that the U.S. didn't notice leaked documents circulating on social media. I mean, these are pretty clear to last week. Right. I mean, that's, I, I, to say it's alarming, I think, is a pretty big understatement. It's
4: unbelievable. I mean, you can't get your head around it. And where's our president? He's going on a family picnic in Ireland, looking at the history of his family, which is fine. Retire if you want to do that. We have China warning us to stop the exercises in the Philippines. The worst document leak that is uh, what is causing distrust and anger amongst our allies. Do you know in a seven-hour trip, he didn't pick up the phone to talk to any leader to explain himself? Like Benjamin Netanyahu, it turns out a report shows that the Mossad is actually supporting the protesters in Israel against their government. So what's going on there? I mean, that's a huge story. Do you think that a phone call to Netanyahu might be necessary? Uh, of course it is. Uh, a way to settle things down in China? He's not—we have a zombie president. He's—nobody is doing the job. The vice president's talking about um, uh, would-be would racial incidents that happened in Nashville. Gun, gun violence is the issue. But what's going on there with the expulsion of two is now made to be a national story. When we have crises sparking everywhere, instead, if you want to debate guns, let's go do it. You want to talk about uh, how racist Nashville is? You're not going to sell me on it.
3: So, Brian, you mentioned China, and I was curious to know what you think about French President Macron uh, having a wonderful visit, tea, conversation, doing a little bit of the Chinese talking points with President Xi. What do you make of that? I found it very odd. I can't read what he's doing there. It doesn't make sense to me.
4: Well, you know, you, you got to see what's happening internationally. The the blowback has been huge inside France, inside Germany. Poland came out with statements saying, listen, America's got our national security. That's who I trust. Yeah. Uh, Germany, where you say things matter. While he says, I don't want to get involved between the U.S. and Taiwan, then the intensity of the war games over Taiwan – uh, right. It gets ratcheted up. And what does and that, that mean? That's for who Ukraine? you call. Everything. Yeah. I mean, Lord, but they're not doing enough for in Ukraine. It is their back backyard. We're working. We're spending. We're depleting. Uh, we're, they're fighting. And he's over there talking about China and bring 70 businessmen with him to. Uh, to reinforce different business opportunities in France, who doesn't want to work? Mm. He's the president. Our president's got to be on the phone saying, "What are you doing? Yeah. You just embarrass me. You, uh, uh, this is not the way an ally acts. Instead, you have a guy in a seven-hour journey looking at his family tree."
2: Yeah. Uh, so the, his likely opponent in the general election twenty twenty four, he uh, had a big interview on your network this weekend, Donald Trump, uh, or this week uh, in prime time with Tucker Carlson, talked about the investigation, says he's running even if he's convicted, and uh, talked about uh, you know Biden's handling of the Afghanistan situation, a bunch of other things. What did you make of Trump's messaging in the interview with Tucker? How do you think that's going to serve him? in the coming months as the primaries start to heat up, Brian?
4: I'm I'm mostly positive. I mean, you have him talking about the the world stage and how President Biden has reversed almost everything he did from the Abraham Accords to what's happening uh, in the Ukraine to the way he left Afghanistan, blaming the former president. I don't even think people in his own party believe anything in these reports. So the president, I think, was able to look at what Joe Biden's doing and just— Say, this is what I was doing, and this is what I will do. And he has more credibility than he had in 2016 because he's done it. Uh, the one comment that's getting some blowback among Republicans is saying, Gavin Newsom was nice to me, so I like him. <laughs> Gavin Newsom's the worst <laughs> governor in the country. Uh, he he just He's a show horse. He doesn't do anything except run the state into the ground. And There's more people leaving that state than any in the union, even though it's one of the most picturesque and opportunistic places you could ever be. But they're taxing people. Allowing the homeless to flourish, crime to run rampant, the border to be wide open. People are just leaving. So people are giving him some blowback on that. But for the most part, his numbers continue to rise. I don't think people look at this New York case as serious. Although I'm sure you guys saw the poll that showed independence do take it more serious than I thought, Hmm. which would be key. But uh, DeSantis, Pompeo, Mike Pence, they better get in soon. Because uh, this is a runaway train if you're a Republican, unless they can get in front of it. And they got to at least try. Tim Scott, no more exploratory. You don't need the exploratory. Jump in. Yeah. You need to get out there. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so you know it's interesting that that Trump is getting the blowback by saying that he likes somebody. <laughs> In
4: some
2: I quarters, know. yeah, and I'm not sure how many he was friends nice to him because he was
3: nice to him, right? Uh,
2: among uh, Newsom supporters, but,
3: but Trump always does that. He's always saying this guy, you know, he likes Putin. He was. We had a meeting right. of the Kim, mind. Kim Jong Un, you know, uh, right. President yeah, so Xi, you name. And, it. And, and he was saying that all these guys, you know, President Xi, Kim Jong Un, Putin, that they're smart. Now, was he saying? That I, they're smart and I like them and I want to hang out with them. I, to me, it was more like, let's be careful because these guys are really right, smart right. and they're incredibly powerful. And I think that might have been misinterpreted. I don't know if he was Well, you're 100% right. And here, yeah.
4: here's why. I saw, I saw Andrea Mitchell say, I can't believe this president loves uh, autocrats. And he's saying how smart he is and brilliant president she is. And, I mean, you could say great leaders in the past. Uh, who are evil, are also intelligent. Right. One thing has nothing to do with the other. What, what are they going to use their guile? What are they going to use their experience? Uh, their intentions are what should be wary, but you should be able to judge your opponent. And that's what he's doing. But, you know, Trump doesn't have any subtlety. Yeah. He doesn't sort out by saying, like, let me first off tell you, the genocide that the President Xi is presiding over is despicable and disgusting. But for you to underestimate his intellect right. and ability to plot and plan, that uh, would be a big mistake. That's the way normal people say it. But instead, Trump says, yeah, like that North Korean leader, love Vladimir Putin. And he's a, you know, smart guy. President Xi is smart, strong guy. He doesn't have the other part where, you know. Uh, so Kim therefore, Jung, uh, don't
3: underestimate them because they're <laughs> crazy geniuses. That, that's the way you yeah. say it.
4: Like the way like you Dr. would say Evil. it. Dr. Evil.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, Brian, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the uh, talkers convention and the panel you're on. I think I'm on the panel right right after you. But it's always a good conversation listening to you talk with Harry Hurley and uh, John Caracciola. What uh, what can people look forward to this
4: morning on television and
2: uh, and later this morning on radio? What do you got going on?
4: Uh, We got a lot. Uh, I mean, first off, I'm going to be unloading uh, the Washington Post and New York Times has more than uh, our, our FBI and cyber team in finding out who this big hacker Mm. is Uh, the president's disastrous trip over with hunter biden in ireland where he decides to tell a bunch of kids about jesse helms when they ask him about what the key to success is unbelievable Mm. didn't even know what state jesse helms was from why you bring up jesse helms to irish children that's (laughs) going to be an interesting uh, to any children uh, uh, yeah to any children uh, going to talk about the ongoing, uh, going to talk about the ongoing investigation uh, with the president, and also, uh, on a side note, Elon Musk took apart this BBC reporter. Also opened up about how painful this transition has been with Twitter. Um, uh, amongst our guests on radio, uh, Ben Domenech, Dave Rubin, uh, John Levine. He's following the Hunter Biden story, which is now expanding big time. 80 visits for Hunter Biden's business associates when Joe Biden was vice president. And John Levine also uh, is able to find out, too, uh, about this one Mike McCormick, who is a stenographer uh, with Joe Biden when he went over to Ukraine and watched, uh, watched what he did and sell American interest for his own personal profit. That's a Obama hired stenographer who's trying to tell the FBI his story and the FBI doesn't want to hear it. Mm. So well, those are just some of the things we'll all talk right. about. All uh, right. Busy day for you,
2: Brian. They're all busy, it seems. All right, Brian, thanks as always. I look forward to seeing you, um, you know, hopefully before June 2nd. But thanks again. All right. Go get him. Thank you. Uh, Brian Bye, Kilmeade. Brian. Uh, see him on Fox and Friends. And then listen to him on his nationally syndicated radio program a little bit later this afternoon. And then I've obviously used on. Fox News Channel this afternoon I'm with One Nation. I'm actually going
3: to be on Fox and Friends this morning. Are you? At 740. Oh, yeah. that,
2: see, no wonder you're you're yeah, dressed so nicely. Yeah. Like. What are you talking about?
3: Uh, we're talking about the Tim Scott stuff and something else that I can't remember, but I, All will, right. but I
2: will uh rush I will, up. I will stay awake yeah. to make sure <laughs> that I listen. <laughs> Believe me. No, I feel like I owe it to you now. I feel like we're we're a team. Yeah. All right. Um, see Laura Current on Fox and Friends this morning as well. It's quite an action-packed show. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. 15 seconds of fame. Give you an opportunity to comment whatever you like for 15 seconds. Straight in.
1: The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
2: This is the other side of midnight. Frank Morano here with Laura Curran, and and Laura Curran was amazed that anybody would uh, stay on hold two hundred minutes or more
0: oh, to
2: chat with me. Uh, but uh, evidently, Robert in Suffolk has finally thrown Robert, in the we towel. Robert, we were
3: going to take your call. We were,
2: we were you, for real, right? I for, mean, that yeah, one was we, not I said,
3: this is the most patient man. We got to talk yeah, to him
2: exactly. But. Aww. Apparently, even his patience has <laughs> a... Had to go to bed. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. We're going to give you 15 seconds of fame to f- say whatever you like as part of f- um, if, you know, 15 seconds of fame. How have you found being here this hour, Laura? Super
3: fun. And I'm so grateful that you said that I could do it. I kind of <laughs> invited myself. Well, wonderful. So thank you we'll, we'll for saying it again, yes. Huh? Yeah, definitely. Great.
1: All right. Time for... Other side of midnight. This is fifteen seconds of faith He's Frank. Right. Yeah, you can say anything you want on this segment, Frank. Uh, it seems like there's a problem in New Jersey with a police scandal now brewing. Did you ever ask Eric Adams if he ever researched the police sexes? Roy. <laughs> Good morning, listeners. Do not listen to Curtis for how he keeps talking about Frank Morano. It's called ah. bullying. Get rid of him. Rajamba. <laughs> Curtis, your list of warmongers is multiplying like the populations of Indochina. Gungo chong, mustache, bolton, bunker, libid, even the Polish Mike. Mike. Morning, Frank. Uh, going forward, I would like to be identified as original Mike. Or the caller previous, previously known as Mike. Or the oh, Jerry, depending on my moods. <laughs>
2: How do you like that? Frankie.
1: Shout out to Fred from Yonkers. How are you going to keep them down on the farm after they seen Parade? Learn that poem. Learn the poem. Fred, learn
2: the poem. And finally, Stan. Good morning, Frank. I'm Laura. In Good 2021, morning. you did the interview with John R. Gambling. John
1: Gambling had it right. With Trump, right message, wrong messenger. Very much on target. We need somebody else with the same message. By the way, how's John
3: Gambling doing these days? Uh, thank
2: you, Stan. Uh, we haven't talked in uh, maybe a couple of months, but I will I will give him a call. Uh, Laura, thank you.
3: Thank you, Frank.
2: All right, have fun on Fox and Friends. I'll be back tomorrow, God willing. Uh, Frank Moreno, good day.